My name is Diana Chacon. Uh, I'm also known as DJ Andaki Buji, and I identify as undocumented and queer, and hella proud. I think I, I think I started understanding queerness not so long ago. Like it feels it was a long time ago uh, because I am at a point where I, I feel like I introduced myself and I'm like, yeah, I'm queer. Uh, but I think from a young age. Um, I suppressed it a lot. I think I didn't really fully understand that I was queer or gay or lesbian or anything remotely regarding sexuality um, until I migrated. Because when I was in Peru, like that was something we never talked about. It was something where like I knew that I wasn't feminine or I knew I, I was kind of challenging like heteronormatives always, but I didn't even know what that word meant or I just always felt like I didn't really fit into those boxes of like what my parents expected from me. Like whenever I went to a store, like I always went and like tried to find a skateboard rather than Barbies. And although that's not a reflection of sexuality at all, like I now fully understand that I just, I felt like I wasn't supposed to be, I don't know. I just like, I was never interested into like meeting boys or things like that, or I was because I like, I don't know. But when I migrated, um, I went into a time where I felt like I didn't understand my identity, but at the same time, I had a lot of queer friends. And so I became that person who was always saying like, well, I can't be homophobic if my best friend is gay, you know? And so I embraced that identity for a long time. I just kept on surrounding myself with queer people. Um, but I, I didn't fully acknowledge that that was very internalized homophobia too. Um, and it wasn't until high school when my my English teacher actually um, started like uh, getting involved in Gay Straight Alliance, and so she was like, "Oh, you should come." And I was like, "Yeah, y'all need like the Straight Alliance, right?" And so I'm like, "I'm gonna come through." And I remember who now is my best friend uh, for almost nine years. Uh, Mateo brought in like a queer flag, a rainbow flag, and it was huge. It was probably the size of like everyone's head in that room, and like hang it in the wall. And I remember going up to him and I'm like, look, I understand that you're like gay, I'm out, I'm proud, but I don't understand why you have to flaunt it in people's faces. And I think of that moment every day or every time that I think of how far I've come in like owning my sexuality, because that was like the epitome of being like internalized homophobic to another level. Like I left that room like upset, angry and crying. And I had no idea why, right? And I had no idea that I was so angry at myself and so sad about being queer, period, that I never thought that I would be at a point where I'm just so happy to be queer, literally, right? Like, and so, yeah, I went from that or like understanding that clearly there was something wrong if I'm angry about my best friend bringing in a queer flag, right? Like if I'm such a good like ally or whatever, like, why was that an issue? And so college came around and I was like, you know what? I might be bi curious. So I'm like, I went into that phase where, um, or that stage in my life where I was like, it's a college experience. Let me just like do that and like totally like fall in love with a cis guy later. Uh, but then I met someone and that someone who I wouldn't say was my first love, but it was like my first real crush where like everything changed, you know, like everything it's about them. and. And it's that puppy love that you think it's like healthy and everything, but it's really not. Like now that you look back, you're like, okay. 
Um, but I met her while I was working in a restaurant and yo, like everything changed after that. And um, but I, I, I still didn't fully like acknowledge that. I'm like, okay, I might clearly be into women. But I started saying I started identifying as bisexual. Um, and, and under that time I was under the impression that bisexuality meant a binary, right? Like oh like dudes and like girls. But I didn't fully understand that bisexuality means a pair of something, right? Like a pair of a, a, a two of something. And so and then, but I was like, no, but I don't think I'm into dudes anymore. So I, was, I started identifying as a lesbian. But then I started liking a guy later on. So I was like, okay, clearly I'm not just a... So it's like I was going through a whole identity crisis for the longest. So how did your parents take it when you came out? How did they handle that? I think um, I, I didn't really have autonomy as to how that came about. I was having an argument with my sister one time and 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 you know I love my sister very much like I now I don't, I'm no longer upset about that but during that time we were having a fight and I think my sister always knew right and so in the moment of anger she my mom was present and she was like eh, like arguing with me and then she was like ah you that a lesbiana and then it was just like it was like that gasping moment where I'm like I was not ready for even that word first of all because I was like, I'm not a lesbian, I'm queer. But whatever, like, so, and, but I also realized that moment that I wasn't exactly, not that I didn't care, but I was, I was always more worried about my dad's reaction rather than my mom's. My, my, my dad and I have always been close, like, we've best friends, like, forever, right? Like, for my 24 years of existence. And so, not having my dad listen to that actually opened my eyes to, like, maybe I can tell him sometime, right? Like, um... And so when I did tell him on his birthday one time having dinner, like I, I, I realized in that moment how much of a privilege it was for me to tell him, looking at him and him, and knowing that he was still gonna be sitting down at that table after I told him, right? Um, and because I, I, he knew, right? Like I dated someone for two years, um, and even though I never told him that he that she was my girlfriend, like. She was always in my house or with me or like I went on vacation with him like it, I mean with her like it was so obvious right and my dad loved her like my dad was always asking about her like oh how is she like is she coming over to eat and things like that right and so more more like was not so much concerned I was like yeah I, I I accept you but rather like it was his actions that spoke louder than than like us speaking about it every day about like my gayness or my queerness right and so um, but with that also came understanding that I was always thinking like, well, because now I'm out and I'm pretty happy about being out and my dad knows, although we don't talk about it, then I don't want to date someone who is in the closet, right? Or I feel like is hiding me because it's real. Yeah. Like, you don't ever want to feel like you're someone secret, right? But at the same time, I realized that religion and culture play such a huge role in the way our parents or our communities think, right? Like, and we can't ask someone to just kind of switch that overnight. And so my partner who, we always communicated about it. And my partner during that time told me that she was never gonna come out to her parents probably, right? And I was totally okay with that, you know? And like, I was totally okay with the fact of, of her not telling them because I knew that if I were to be like, well, you have to tell them, because I feel like you're hiding me, I was giving her an ultimatum. I was basically asking her to choose her family over me. Um, 
and you know that I, I think that's the most manipulative like toxic thing you could do to someone you love yeah to have them choose you over their family essentially right like because not only are you like now have to face that fact that they might not take it well but what happens next right like are you fully prepared to like be together in different ways right that's that, definitely yeah. true because i feel like not everybody has a good coming out story, yeah you know yeah. and just because you are accepted doesn't mean your partner will yeah like are you prepared to leave that door open once shit hits the fan like are you prepared to let them move in with you when their parents kick them out because they're gay yeah you know and what does that look like moving forward right like like let's say that relationship doesn't work out right like whoever is in this situation then what happens like right like your family and i and even then like aside from like what would happen in the relationship like no one should make you do something that you're not ready for and asking someone to come out for them essentially right because that's what it looks like it's 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 really not fully loving them to the point where you have to let them breathe and take their own time for themselves um i came out to my dad after my first like heartbreak not while I was with that person or seeing that person and because I wanted to do it on my own terms right like and so just because it took me that long or it took me to that spend I could never ask someone I'm in love with um to do something they're not ready for and so I think there's such a huge privilege in coming out definitely um and and if you never do so that's also okay doesn't yeah. make you less queer that's definitely true i i didn't have a good i don't have a good coming out story it was taken from me you know the autonomy of it like yes yeah, it's hits horrible the it is really really horrible and then once i was out yes there is definitely a privilege of being out yeah. because it was like i had a chip on my shoulder finally you know like i'm out yeah. and i can never go back and I couldn't be with anyone that was going through that journey because not also for my own selfish reasons I want to walk around with my partner and holding hands but then that's also not my journey and I feel like yes it would be selfish to rob somebody of that you gotta do this you gotta do that if you want to be with me you want to come out or you don't want to come out that is on you but it's not going to work out if we have to hide because also in hiding that's also very triggering yeah no for sure right like you never want to feel like you're anyone's secret and it it just it reminds me of like this notion of like what makes someone queer enough right um i read this post a couple months ago that was like um to choose to be visibly queer to be out and visibly queer is to choose happiness over safety and you know there's a lot of rebuttals in terms of that because folks think that well what does queer look like and for sure right i don't think there's anything in this world or anyone in the world that can tell you that you're not queer enough or queer uh, this makes you queer but i think to also believe that there's no such thing as queer visibility is to ignore or completely forget about the fact that queer people walking down the street who are very visible like completely breaking like gender norms or heteronormatives are being harmed 
right and so that this conversation just reminds me of like how it's so important to acknowledge that there's no such thing as what queer looks like but also to acknowledge the fact that queer people who are not in fitting into a heteronormative cis box are being totally like like harmed for um And so I think with all of these things, like being out and being proud, it comes so much responsibility to acknowledge shit that we we are suppressing for so long, right? And to have this conversation might be uncomfortable, but that's also okay. Yeah. Um, and please, more of this. Like, we need more of these conversations. Where, like, if I'm wrong, I'm like, please, like, nurture me and call me in. Like, I don't, don't attack me for it, right? Like, um, like what was it that I read was like, Um, if you got love for me then show that love by like having a com- an intentional conversation uh, and not through social media but in person right and so I'm Definitely. a big believer on that yeah. I think that coming besides being gay and coming to the term that you're gay queer however you want to identify is one conversation but then coming out is also a conversation mm-hmm. of its own yeah. because coming out can be very ugly yeah it can be disgusting because it's like you go through when you have a bad coming out you go through this horrible moment that you're disgusted with yourself that you even went through that you carry a shame and then you have to look at facebook posts of these white people having parties thrown for them because it's their national coming out day you know so it's like even with that it's still you know very triggering triggering because as you're growing into your own you don't want to identify as a lesbian you know you grow up with lesbian being such an ugly word or being yeah or dyke or called a mari macha like i've been told mejor puta que lesbiana oh hell i'm like both and that's (laughs) exactly exactly and that was just so hurtful that i was just like hell no i should be on a shirt i'm like instead of mejor puta que lesbiana i'm like puta and lesbiana i think somebody did make a shirt like that where it's like mejor puta que lesbiana or like puta y lesbiana i'm like i'm here for both of them yeah and then i started understanding like queer theory i started understanding what queer means and like really like reshaping the definition and making it in your own but also taking the, the bad connotation of queer the queer war period and like making making it making it into our own community and redefining what that looks like and since then like i've fully embraced my queerness in many ways that also that also means in my in the way that i present myself and my gender expression what i wear i just like i stopped giving a crap about so many things Uh, but I don't think I've still fully gotten to the point where my internalized homophobia has been like fully disconstructed. How was that, you know, for you, the internal homophobia? Because, you know, the way that I understand it, it's more of like you going through this journey of identifying yourself and because the word gay has such a negative undertone, it's like, 
you don't want to be gay you know that you're gay but you're fighting it off because you know like you think about the shame that you're bringing to your family and all that yeah so how was that for you um well i think for me like i never fully got like i i think it's a it's a growing process right i think telling my dad was the biggest part of i guess coming out to me aside from coming home to myself which is what i always say like i don't really believe in this whole coming out notion but i rather i, I believe in like being okay with who you are and fully like taking that in and be like okay yeah like i'm queer right like and that means coming home to yourself but i think fully understanding what that looked like for my father was very different and so i ended up telling my dad that i that i'm queer or in spanish like i'm gay you know because like there's not really a way to explain that in spanish um and he i like parents always know and parents like kind of have it in the back of their head but that's just never spoken of and i would just never gonna bring it up but i i ended up telling him after my first heartbreak and it wasn't because of her but rather despite of her because i wanted to tell him because it was something that i needed to share with him like we're very similar in our emotions and so i knew that he'll understand why i was a sad little puppy for a long time um but after that like even though he knew and he embraced it in a way where i didn't think he would he is something we don't ever talk about it's something that's there and unspoken of uh but I won't ever like be like here that this is or at least not anytime soon like this is my girlfriend or have him like see me kiss like another girl or something like that and I, I could tell that that is still my internalized homophobia um, showing and but it, it also makes me wonder whether if it's because of safety often right like in the streets like I'm not one to show like public what do you call it PDA like public defense what do you, affection or something like that because of the fact that I'm always wondering which identity is being shown right it's like if I'm in Williamsburg uh, and I'm in a white neighborhood which is Williamsburg like I'm thinking okay like everyone's queer friendly but are they brown friendly are they Latino friendly right that like, can like you can tell that I'm clearly not white that I'm not white passing at all right and so I've had instances in like white neighborhoods where they've been very like xenophobic and so I'm always wondering which one overpowers, which identity overpowers the other, right? And like, I love my neighborhood and I love it. I love being in Jackson Heights, but like I, at night, you won't see me hold like another girl's hands because that the truth is that they might be pro-immigrant and pro like our people, but like there's a lot of internalized, yeah, right? Not like, I think that there's, our community has so much potential for growth and I, and I continue believing that every day right but it to deny that sexism and homophobia is so ingrained as well right like is to dismiss that colonization has been such a big impact on our people right and so um you know i think it's getting for sure better in the sense of like roosevelt is hella gay at night but i also wonder if it's gay but not like woman queer friendly right like it's like yeah. so oftentimes it's like a battle that i have inside of my mind and so i think it's it's part of being internalized homophobic still and like acknowledging that i don't think that growth will ever end um but also at the same time it's because i i i I'd function be safe than sorry yeah i function from a place of like always safety first um 
but yeah and, and so yeah here in like jackson heights like i'm queens all day i've been here for like 28 years um so i've hung out in jackson heights even me like coming out when i was 16 i never found a place here yeah ever there's like one gay club that i knew of but it wasn't women friendly like club evolution was so ingrained with men you walked in there and all the gay men or the trans women that would be there the drag queens they would look at you like you know what is this fish doing here yeah. and yo like i know exactly what you mean yeah and i think that's why especially specifically with the cis gay like men comment right like i definitely like i feel like for like since i started not only DJing, but rather I started navigating a, a, like a lot of like parties and things like that. I I love being in Jackson Heights because not only is it my home, but at the same time it's the music that I want to listen to, right? Like when you go to the city, like yeah, it's a queer party. It might be queer, femme friendly, but it's like a bunch of white people music that I cannot salsa care. to. You know, puedo yeah. perrear to like some fucking Madonna and shit. And so I'm like, no. So that's, that's a the damn fact. <laughs> so it's like you have Cubbyhole, right? But Cubbyhole is hella white and like. Yeah super transphobic right so there's no way my ass is stepping there for any reason to support that space and so that's where like kind of those things started bringing up the idea of arrebato and why in a way i wanted to create arrebato in jackson heights and part of why i chose to not do it in a queer bar in jackson heights because most of the bars that we have here are like cis gay oriented right mm -hmm. and we only see a bunch of cis gay men there and so it's like we don't I never felt like I had a space to go and like, you know, meet a, like not just meet a girl or something like that, but like to dance with other women, to not feel like like cis men are always around or something like that. And so, you know, like I was walking down Jackson Heights and I was like, all right, I'm going to find a bar that's, it's, you know, supports this idea that I have this mission or like, you know, this vision rather than mission. Uh, and so I found El Tucanazo and the owner was really beautiful, really sweet. I told him what, what like what the concept was about, what I was trying to do once a month, um, that it was um, centering a transgender non-conforming fam, woman, like queer folks. Um, but to also like but with that also came responsibility, right? Like that was predominantly that is a predominantly like a cis like dude bar like like a regular bar like if you go down like there anytime that it's not arrebato night mm -hmm. um so my my best friend and i who's also collaborating with me on arrebato like we we thought of uh, organizing one-on-one -on -one, right so if we're gonna do this we're gonna like train folks who are working there right like make sure that make sure that um the security person it's it's a woman Right, like it's it's mm, the language that's being used to talk to our people. It's the correct language. It's the it's the mindful language, and so it's not just about throwing a party, but like making sure that the party that we're throwing it's it's organized intentionally. And so with that, with the you know with the with the fact that I was always looking for the space that I couldn't find, came the idea of creating the space that I so much needed. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's definitely true. Like I, like I stated before, I've been partying since I was 13 years old. Started going to gay parties when I was 16. I've had fake IDs. I've went to the original Crash, but Crash again okay. was very cis 
men. There were few women there, you know, it was very open, it was for everyone. But I feel like the gay community, the LGBT community, I should say, is mostly ruled by cis men. Yeah. In Manhattan, it was very cis white men. I've gone to Henrietta's, you know, in Henrietta's. I found my place there. Just like Latinx was, night on Wednesdays. Yeah, yes, yes. <laughs> so... But like we get nights, we don't yeah. get a, like an actual space, right? Exactly, like, exactly. And then you know, not to throw shade on certain DJs, but it's like as a Latina DJ, your my expectation for you to play the music that we need to hear yeah. is really high, yeah. and we you don't deliver. It's very disappointing. Yeah. No, I mean, like, that's always on the top of my head, right? Like, especially because, like, one thing that I learned DJing, like, you just can't cater to everyone, right? But who I want to cater to is my people, mm-hmm. right? And so, honestly, I'm totally okay if I'm not catering to folks who who already have so many spaces everywhere else to yeah. go to, right? And so, when I'm DJing, I'm like, if I'm enjoying my set, if I'm... Because it's like, like I, I honestly think that... DJing, it's art. Yes. It's a craft, right? It's not just getting up there and putting music on. I I didn't f- understand this at all until I started DJing. Until I started fully understanding what sets looks like. What like when you request a song, what does that look like for the DJ going from like a hundred uh, BPM to like I don't know 175? Like that's just not something that mm-hmm. happens, right? And so. And, and you just don't get good overnight. You have to practice over and over again. You have to practice and practice, right? And, it, and the best thing that you could do is make sure that the music that's being put, it's reflecting of the people who are in that space, right? Definitely. And so for me, like, I've always loved all reggaeton, all salsa, right? Like, music that brings you back to your home country. Music that reminds you of a memory back in Peru or back in your, like, native land. And so if I can create that, like, connection and that connection between other people who are like yo i haven't heard this song in forever right like um like for me that's community organizing for me like it's outside of like activism or really finding what activism looks like through art like artistic ways um i've my like for the longest i've done like legal representation or research or, or or community organizing in different ways but i just i i felt like it had become everything at some point that when i started like playing music i started doing dj um craft and i realized that you can also redefine what that looks like on your own terms yeah, yeah definitely and it's often like overlooked like it's often like looked as like a side gig or like a like a hobby but i'm like is it because we're so being indoctrinated to think that if you don't go into law school if you don't go into med school then that's just the only thing that we can do um i think that it's important to do what you love yeah because when you do what you love it's no longer a job yeah you know people often complain about the jobs that they have you know lawyers complain about cases that they have well you went to law school to become that no i mean you you were a doctor you went to school to become a doctor so it's like if you're not enjoying what you're doing you know i think that as a dj is very important to play the music that you would like to listen to yeah i mean i think that with every career comes like a time where even if you love it 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 becomes like I wouldn't say a burden, but it becomes something that it's very heavy on you, right? Like if you need a break even from that. 
like doing immigration work like I love the work that I do but it's so heavy emotionally that I was just joking with my friend the other day I was like yeah Leo, I cried doing like a case that I just I just did but I go home and heal with Perreo you know so it's like like two different worlds colliding as one but helping you continue doing the work that you're doing yeah, that's um beautiful. you know like I I don't think I've ever met any immigration lawyer who was like no I totally knew that like I went into law school and then to become a lawyer and like I was gonna have a great time like it's just it's really tough right and and but I honestly believe that you need breaks in between all of that or find something that makes your heart like set on fire um but that's also such a privilege to be able to navigate the world of art and still be able to pay my rent right like mm -hmm. Because I think of freelancing and I think of how hard it is to even get paid because people take us as a fucking joke. Like, well, can you do this for free? I'm like, nah, you're Especially a Especially if you're a woman. Yeah, a woman of color, undocumented, you're queer. Like, yo, they be trying to play us all, right? And so I'm like, I started putting my foot down. And I'm like, nah, like, it's labor, you know? Like, there's so much behind that. You, like, I so could, many hours yeah. of, like, mixing and training. That equipment ain't yeah. free. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, like, and honestly, like, I don't also just want to say that I, overnight, I was like, yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna think this way. Like, I've been very blessed to have, like, mentors or other folks who are also in this, in this industry or in the field who are like constantly like reminding me I'm like you gotta you gotta put your foot down know your worth like um part of Arrebato's idea or not idea but rather me wanting to start doing that was because I went to Los Angeles a couple months ago and like I've always wanted to do Arrebato right but I never thought like it could be me to start that or like even like remotely think of like starting something like that Uh, but then I met two homies there who are queer too, and they started Cumbiaton. You know, like to see their like push and thrive, like, and just ha generally happiness. I was like, bro, like that's so beautiful, right? Like, yeah, like definitely, yo. There's definitely a need to have a party like yours in Queens because I've went through so many queer parties here in Queens, and they don't yeah they definitely don't i remember there used to be this bar called like lola's lola's and, and it was on on steinway oh, somewhere on steinway i don't know but whatever it it was not that good it boom boom bar not. too there was like a lesbian spot aquí en la 60 y algo they closed it down and i remember was it the boom or something no like boom that? boom bar Boom, boom, bar. Yeah, no, okay, La Boom's still thriving and existing. It's a Latino bar. Yeah, um. I can't be a Latino. <laughs> I cannot. Like, I just... I feel like any party, any Latino party that you go to that just have too many men, oh, yeah, it no, becomes sure. completely unsafe for two yeah. women to dance together. No, it doesn't matter how the hell you identify. Yeah. I've gotten into so many It's like they want to save men. you. They're like, oh, yeah. can I, like, they try to ask you to dance or like two guys come up to the two women and they're like, oh, like nobody fucking called you. Yeah, it's like, oh, you need good dick in your life. That's oh the reason God. why you're like that. Yeah, yeah like, well, you need my fist in your face. <laughs> like, you I know? remember one time I was... Oh man, I was with my partner in a bar, and like, and again, like I had mentioned, like I'm not big on PDA, but I guess we were, I don't know, like I gave her a kiss or something, like, 
God forbid I gave her a kiss. Because this guy comes up to us and he's like, what are you guys, like, best friends or something? I'm like, no, this is my partner, right? And, you know, no matter how many times or how many ways I told this guy, like, please go away in a very nice, politely way. Which I, it, he does, like, I don't own him that shit, right? He still wouldn't fucking back off. He's like, oh, no, I think this is so hot. Like, bro, like, how many, like, and you have to tell them like i have a boyfriend for them to like leave like there has to be another cis dude in the picture for them to respect yes. your answer right and not even that shit doesn't even work anymore you gotta be like i don't know i'm gonna start being like i i need citizenship <laughs> i'm yeah. like if you're willing to give me citizenship i'm gonna stay in this conversation if not i'm out Yo, like that will not make them so round the other way for real yeah like, i'm like I, looking for a green card oh my god <laughs> i remember the first fight that i got into with the guy at this club called Amazora that is now Perfections. Okay. Um, here in Queens. Perfect. And yeah, it's a strip club. And I was there with this girl that I had met. It was her cousin's birthday. I was see. I don't know. We were in VIP because it turns out that my friend was the one at the door, like one of the promoters. So he got us VIP. Yeah. And so I asked her to dance. We went there to go dance. I was very huggy with her. Y se metió un hombre como que quiso, you know, to dance with me. And I kept telling him, like, no, I'm okay. I'm dancing with her. But he kept pulling my arm. He kept pulling my arm. I kept telling him, no, no, no. Until he pinches me. And my arm leaves me a bruise. I turned around. I punched him. Like, sucker punched him right in the nose. Yo me voy that's it they grabbed him because i told my friend like i was just accosted and yo for what i got into another fight with another guy who touched her face and then it's like whatever party that there is for you know poc it's such an unsafe place for any type of woman yeah i mean honestly like i don't I will always choose my people over white folks. Like, that's the thing. Like, I don't feel safe in a white oh, space. definitely. Right? Like, like, but I do believe that our people have so much potential for growth. And I refuse to keep, like, I refuse to just be like, you know what? Like, they ain't shit. So I'm not even gonna, like, it's not my job to educate them in any way. But I, there's such a generational shit that I do believe that at some point, I hope that cis men understand one word or another, you're like that they're we're teaching our children like the shit's different, like you know, not to just respect women but like to understand women in different ways. Um that yeah, like I don't feel safe either in a white space or in a cis white space or or like in a cis men's space period ever, but I do believe that I, that our people have so much potential for growth, and, and and but I would always choose queer POC spots for anything, right? Like like our spots, as long as they're queer, and like yo, like Arrebato was everything that I ever hoped for, and I hope that moving forward is it's still what I hope, like envision. Um, but yeah, I'm like, but even that's still not enough. Like you know, like I throw that party once a month. Like again, we get events, not spaces, and so. I really do hope that one day Arrebato becomes an actual bar. But I don't got 
arrebato money like that. <laughs> yeah. So how did Undocu Bougie came to be? Like, what does that even mean? <laughs> it, so it's funny because my first ever DJ gig, like, it came out of nowhere. A homie hit me up, was like, yo, I'm throwing a fundraiser. Like, I've always loved playing music. And, like, like we're in the car, I'm like, yo, can I play some music, right? Like, it wasn't ever about mixing music or anything, but it was a like, creative playlist and things like that. Um, and I've always been like, yo, you need, like, somebody to DJ your party, I got you, right? But I never fully thought of DJing, like, DJing, right? Like, I was like, yeah, I'll put, like, some music. Like, that, that is, like, how very, like, ignorant, like, knowledge I had to DJing and, like, how I didn't even see it as art. And so uh, that party came through, like came around and then they hit me up. They're like, we need like a flyer. So like, think of a DJ name. And I'm like, fuck, like, I don't, I don't know. Like, what am I supposed to be called? Like Chiquita or something? Uh, Chiquita. <laughs> uh, actually, no, no disrespect. I think there's actually a DJ called DJ Chiquita. But I'm only saying that because, you know, back in the day, we used to create like emails, like, La, pequeñ la, la pequeñita 200 mil no sé yo for real yeah so I was like I don't know what to call like I wanted to be a represent like, a rep I wanted to represent who I am um, and so but you know and Bougie was always something a word that I would often use as a joke with my homies because like growing up like I, I grew up like not having much but not also not ever missing anything right and so when i started working like crazy like i was like i've always been a hustler like you know like one job was never like well honestly to pay for school one job is never enough but like i've always been one to like oh yo, yes yes i'll do it yes i'll do it right and so with that i also came that i started wanting to get myself nice things and things like that right and so i remember a few times where folks would make comments like oh like you have those shoes like shouldn't you be saving up because of your status or things like that right like or this idea or notion that folks have of what undocumented people should be or are and like god forbid would enjoy anything right like it's not not something that should ever be the case for us right and so i started joking i'm like nah yo i got them because i'm undocumented i'm undocumented right and so it became like an inside joke between me and my homies but and then as, as having that conversation about what undocumented folks look like and how we're always just linked to poverty and like sadness and like not being able to enjoy anything fully or not, not having autonomy about what, how we want to continue our lives. It also came about challenging what that looks like, right? And so when I thought of my DJ name, I was like, I know that even being able to even thinking about DJing and not going into the fields or not pursuing what I'm supposed to do or what I've been told, it's a privilege and it's in a way being bougie or like wanting to, you know, like, I don't know, fuck shit up in my own way. And so I was like, you know, I'm going to use it as like my, my stage name and I'm going to use it in a way where people think it's boogie, people think it's like, I don't know, like they can come up with their own like ideas of it, but... I, I think it's very, very few times where I've been asked, what does that mean? Um, and it just means kind of like uprooting how I've seen myself and how people have seen me or have they seen my people enjoy our existence beyond just our identity. Um, so it's kind of an oxymoron, right? Like a paradox, I remember which one is. Like undoc being undocu, which is undocumented, and then bougie, which is like 
totally like wealth like you know like you call bougie folks like the bourgeoisie right like the ones that have money yeah Yeah. the wealthy the one like clearly i'm none of those things right but it's like putting those two words together is like kind of like challenging and uprooting what that looks like for us um yeah i thought it was like undocu boogie and i'm like that makes so much sense because i mean like you're a dj you have people no, like but boogie their sounds feet. hella white i'm like nah yeah yeah no um i mean yeah Gucci, yo, awesome. get down to the boogie now i can't do it I'm like, yeah no a lot of people are always asking me um is it boogie or bougie i'm like what do you think <laughs> And they're like, I don't know. And then it's because you can also spell bougie differently. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I'm like, but I also love the idea of, of folks, like, you know, like our names are already so colonized often. Like people call me Diana all the time and I refuse to answer to that, right? Because my name is Diana. And so I think a big part of also folks having a hard time pronouncing like Andaki bougie or even, it also opens the conversation of asking folks, hey, how do, how do you want to be called? You know, like, what are your pronouns or things or normalizing having questions, right? Like asking questions. And so I think it's, it, it, I've seen oftentimes when people struggle to like, is it Diana, Diana? I'm like, you can just ask me, you know, it's Diana, it's Diana Chacon, right? Like, or the same thing with my DJ name, like, oh, is it Andaki Bougie or Andaki Bougie? Andaki Bougie, right? Like, but it's, I, I think we have such a culture of assuming and being so afraid to ask that, bro not a big of a deal <laughs> that's yeah. awesome what would Diana Chacon say to a younger self it's mm, a tough one uh, to save money no I'm kidding um, <laughs> yeah save money girl yeah, stop Ubering no I'm kidding uh, no I am serious I need to stop Ubering um Oh, that's why it's also like my name came because I over everywhere. Anyway, so <laughs> <laughs> they're like, they're, they're like, you got money. I'm like, dude, we get paid the same shit. Like, it's funny when people are like, yo, you have money, and I'm like, we ha- are on the same payroll. What are you talking about? I'm like, I just, you know, I choose to just whatever, like treat yourself. But um, I, why would I tell my younger self? I think to literally breathe. Like, I feel like I suffocated myself a lot growing up and not just by like folks did it to me but i think i was so quick to want to get somewhere in the sense of my identity like i gotta i like if i'm gonna be out and queer thing i have to like fully upset like it's a process right it's i don't think it happens overnight i don't think it's gonna happen by tomorrow or by next week i think it's a collective work and in every way, like, I wish I could tell my younger self, like, hey, exploring your sexuality is also okay. You know, like, as long as you're safe, you're mindful, and you communicate, like, you'll embrace that fully, right? Like, as long as there's consent in every way from every party, I'm like, you know, I I, I grew up, like, super also, like, very, like, internalized sexist, right? Like, I always praise myself for, like, well, you know, I'm not like those girls who are hooking up with every guy. I'm like, I should have. You know, I wish I could go back in time and be like, that's okay as long as you are okay with that, right? Like, same thing now. Like, I think a big misconception in the queer community is that, actually, it's not a misconception, it's true, like, that we all just hook up with one another. True. But I think that also opens the conversation of, of communication and acknowledging that 
we can avoid so many things if we just fucking communicate, right? And so, and not just like the idea of communication, but actually practicing ways of how that's being taken and received, right? Because oftentimes you can just talk, but if it's not being received and reciprocated, then it's not going anywhere. And so if I could just tell that to my younger self, like read, read, and also fully take intake what other people are telling you and like acknowledge when you're wrong. Like I, for a long time, I was so terca, so terca. I was like, no, I got this. No, I like, I totally know what I'm saying. Um, but also just to kind of just take every day by its day and to like, as corny as it sounds, to remember that baby steps is still moving forward, you know? And so I think, um, and, you know, just be open to asking questions and, and be open to 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 being hurt. Because I think we avoid that so much. Mm. Um, but, yeah, I mean, like, I think the biggest things I've learned is because I got my heart broken. And not just by loves, you know, by friendships or by situations or by, by things where I put myself into it knowing that I had, like, a gut feeling or something like that and I didn't listen to it. Um, but just, you know, keep hustling, like... My, my younger self was working at Mamas Empanadas. I'm like, you do you, boo. I wish I could tell myself, I was like, well, don't work there because they still owe me money. So I'm like, whatever, but I'm just petty about it. <laughs> yeah. That was awesome. Uh, no, thank you. Thank you so much thank for having you. this conversation with me. Thank you. All right, guys. Until next time.